like they they advertise one match by crashing a car into one of the wrestlers. Not a total victory of Russia, which now we're seeing. This he goes on. Gigantic bag of flaccid dicks. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Which, when you open them up, you find out that they're all cockroaches inside. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I don't know if anybody else is ever going to laugh this hard at anything we Probably. say. Uh, we can actually both look out my window right now and see some very pretty yellow flowers that I'm going to be eradicating. podcast partner here has uh, taken a certain amount of enjoyment in giving me a hard time uh, recently about the fact that I I fell out of the habit of listening to our podcast uh, <laughs> uh, when my job changed and I was no longer spending two hours a day on the train uh, and and thus my ability to listen to you know half of an episode a day uh, disappeared um, but, uh, I have, I have recently picked up the habit of, uh, spending some time walking, uh, during my prep period in the morning, I go out and I walk, uh, two laps around the, the kind of cross country track that we have at my, at my school. And then in the afternoon, I walk two more laps around it adds up to a total of about, uh, two, not quite two and a half miles for, for the day doing that. And in the morning I put on a, a workout uh, uh, mix that I've got on my, on my phone to, cause in the morning I really need the motivation cause like force me to run through a brick wall, please. I need, I need the psychological help. And in the afternoon, I'm not pushing myself quite as hard cause there's no like time limit for me to get my laps done. And so I have started listening to our podcast again and I, <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been fun. It has also made me very sad, however, because I just started the first of the episodes about speedball <laughs> and and dr dr gabriel cruz is just so damn funny and i missed being on the show with him that time <laughs> and and uh dr cruz uh if you're listening um am i really surly i don't because he because he said you're trading one surly bearded catholic for another and i'm like well okay like if the shoe fits but am i really that bad but yeah no i i i i'm i'm really sorry that i missed being here when he was <laughs> on because yeah he's just an awful lot of fun um folks if, if you haven't already done it check him out on tiktok he's awesome uh and also his podcast uh it's office hours with dr cruz dr c uh, dr c yeah. Yeah. office hours with dr c check it out because he's 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 fucking brilliant. Like I, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. So anyway, that's that's what I've had going on. Uh, what about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher and a U.S. history teacher up here at the high school level up here in Northern California. 
Um, and I concur. Uh, it was a really, really fun episode. Pity that you weren't there. Um, mm. But uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of it. Uh, it will get darker and sadder. Uh, because as... they always do. Yeah, I mean, true. It's true. <laughs> it's interesting that that's where, uh, that's where you've caught up to. Where did you stop off? Like... Or did you leave off? Um, well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to admit here that I'm not like starting where I stopped oh, and, okay, and coming up. I I, I actually the first one that I the first one that I actually wound up like my my phone uh, uh, podcast app said sure. oh hey here's here's Blade Runner and I was like gotcha. okay well I guess I'll start there and sure. you know and I've bounced around. Gotcha. So uh, so tonight. Um... You know, I'd love mischief. <laughs> um, so I programmed, uh, a friend of mine gave me an Alexa, one of them little disc shaped one, looks like a hockey puck. So I put it Okay, yeah, yeah, the so hockey my, puck. Yeah, so my kids would have uh, one up here that they could listen to music with. And I often will play okay. Pierre Gint's, uh, uh, or Grieg's uh, Pierre Gint, the morning song. Okay. When I go to wake them up. Uh, okay. But I, I knew that my son tends to want to know what time it is after his shower is over. So I programmed it to uh, trigger a routine when he asks what time it is. And oh, by the wow. way, we changed them all to uh, from Alexa to computer because Star Trek. Okay. So well, I hear computer. Duh. What time is it? And it because that that's the trigger phrase, it starts playing uh, Snoop Dogg's Ain't Nothing But a G Thing. Uh, da 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 dun 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 right? Yeah, dun, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And okay. and he immediately tells it to stop because that wasn't what he asked. And then you know it stops and he says, "Computer, what time is it?" <clears throat> and it starts up again. <laughs> and I'm hearing this while I'm making my bed from the laundry. I'm hearing this through the wall, and he's just, "Computer, what <laughs> time is it?" and so then he puts an announcement through because i have one in my room and he puts an announcement through and he's like dad stop it (laughs) and then i hear julia standing up for her brother dad knock it off like from another room and then computer what time is it (laughs) and so he comes in he's like you're not funny (laughs) and i'm sitting there laughing so hard that he has to start laughing because it's so funny to see me laughing that hard. My sides hurt from laughing that much. And then I, I took, I I got rid of that routine because actually it's probably good that a kid knows what time it is, but I knew that that would be (laughs) so good. Oh, Oh. I I absolutely loved it. Oh Uh, yeah. Like I was tears in the eyes, <laughs> sides were hurting. Like he wanted to like get me Weeping. back, but Weeping I was yeah, yeah, but I was too busy laughing so hard that I was doubled over and like ready yeah. to collapse. That he just starts laughing like crazy. So it was yeah, it was good. Oh uh, yeah, it was good times. Good times. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to that one. I'm yeah. putting that in my pocket. Yep. Yeah, I just for, it's gotta be like my, a standard when mine gets a little older, and they just yeah. have it play, you know, the escape. You know, do you like pina colada? Coladas, like, yeah. You know, just yeah, whatever, whatever phrase your wife Domo says recently Mr. when she asks, Roboto. right? You know, or yeah. or Rick Roller. Yeah. I mean, it's really yeah. Like, oh, you know, oh, oh, so, yeah, yeah. That's that's good. Yeah, that's good. Evil, but good. 
I like it. But and then the trick is I, that I you mean, gotta, you got to deprogram honey. that routine afterwards. Right? Oh yeah, no, you got yeah. it. Probably yeah. is an important question that they're asking, or or it's important to them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, let's cool. see. When when last we talked, uh, yes. we were talking about. Uh, I believe Ace gets shot down repeatedly because every flipping episode, every time. Yeah, the, yeah. It's kind of and like I and I made Worf. a John McCain joke. About yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like having Worf on the enterprise like yeah how do we know this enemy is really really badass it beats the shit out it of the beats the shit out of Worf. that's right. that's actually a a codified trope the Worf what? effect oh really yeah it's okay. named it the, the name okay. on tv tropes anyway the name sure. for it is the Worf effect that makes sense um yeah. i i think it's honestly a accidental spin on the black guy getting killed first in a horror movie uh, yeah, it's, I mean, they're, yeah, it's, it's so. that, that phenomenon comes from the same, the same yeah. root, uh, narrative. Yeah. We need to function. establish how strong this thing is. Or yeah. 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 How, how this brute force will not be the only thing that works. Yeah. So how yeah. do we know that this is a new threat? It shot down ace. Oh my God. You know, how yeah. do we know it's a threat? Duke's in a coma. Oh my God. And yeah. then you like start doing the tally marks and you're like, you know, how many times is, yeah, I, I genuinely think they need to retire Duke. Um, yeah, because yeah. his his uh, judgment has to be significantly impaired by the repeated brain trauma, right? <laughs> like you know, not even not even comas. Like look at all the times he gets knocked out on top of that. Like oh, oh yeah, he just forgot French. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's gone. Yeah, he's he's so. been flashy thinged so yeah. many times. Like yeah. yeah. So so all yeah. Right. All so right. so space force uh, of GI Joe. Um. So they, yeah. And, and remember it was, uh, it was, they took out the satellite that brought Fox news. Um, so that's good. But the second season, there's a huge shift in focus in GI Joe. Okay. Okay. So the, the, it's, it's, it's 1986 now. Yeah. Cause, or is it, yeah, it's 86. Now is Um, this when, when Sunbow stopped producing and it went to a different company? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, and I, I actually, it's funny. I didn't chase down that tendril of the okay. story, although that one is a fascinating one because there was so much meat on the bone just in what was going on that I'd okay. forgotten completely about the Sunbow okay. uh, connection until after this thing had gone to print. Um, so there is a huge shift in focus. Uh, first off, it's much more complex. Um, in and I mean that literally. There are subplots. There are overarching okay. plots. There are storyline plots for characters. So in the first season, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. In the I first season, that. you have archetypical characters, mm. and they how do they react? I mean, honestly, it feels like the difference between uh, TNG and DS Nine. Um, in the first season, you have these archetypical characters: the badasses do badass stuff the way the badasses do. Yeah. You know, uh, Roadblock always rhymes. Scarlet does disguises and and mm-hmm. martial arts. Uh, Snake Eyes never shuts up. Um, you know, Duke goes into comas right. like that's yeah. you know, that's their um, thing. Yeah. Uh, Bazooka's yeah. a moron. Alpine's uh, a wise ass. Uh, yeah. Quick kick, uh, is always quoting, uh, 1940s movies. Right. You know, and that's, that's kind of what they do repeatedly. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. in this one, the characters actually shift and change and, and you have development. Um, and in addition to continuing to sell the shit out of their toys, yeah. Uh, G.I. Joe's is actually starting to sell kids after school on the concepts of science. Like they actually are very focused, not just on sci-fi, but science itself 
Okay. Has the entry into it. I mean, there's still militarism to fight science. Don't worry. But uh, <laughs> it's like the first five episodes. And that's, this is another thing. It's kind of cool. Each each season opened with a new um, miniseries, you know, a five-parter. So mm-hmm. in in the original was, you know, the, uh, the Adventures of G.I. Joe. And that was it. It was that five-parter. And then when they went for a full season for season one, it was the continuing adventures of G.I. Joe. It was a five-parter, and it was okay. the uh, the weather dominator. Okay, so had, yeah. You had the mass yeah, device, yeah. and then you had the weather dominator. You had the weather so dominator, yeah. All that satellite shit that we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time, it's Arise, Serpentor, Arise. And I it, remember that. Yeah, and it starts by talking about DNA. Yeah, um, and I mean, it quickly goes completely off the rails into crazy batshit pseudoscience mm-hmm. um but it but it does start with dna um i i actually had the serpentor figure with so his I. with his little snake his shaped little s- you know flying chariot. chariot thing yeah 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 um so yeah arise serpentor arise uh they talk about dna they talk about the mortal coil being a helix a double helix mm-hmm. dr mindbender's mm-hmm. dreams um, they talk yeah. about, uh, um, uh, yeah, again, they talk about how you get DNA. They call it what it is. Uh, what is it? Yeah. Dinosaur, uh, nucleic, um, <laughs> deoxyribonucleic a- acid that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, all those <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it talks about it. Um, it's, it's really quite something. Uh, and additionally, they, they kind of open up with a discussion on the new chain of command. Or, or they clarify the chain of command, which is, again, a more militaristic kind of take on things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they codify okay. the chain of command in G.I. Joe. So regardless of rank, it starts with, and like to the point where they're scolding Beachhead um, and telling him, well, you're not in charge. First, it's Hawk, who's new to the cartoon, but he was already in the comics. Yeah. Then it goes to Duke, even though he's a first sergeant. Then yeah. to Flint, even though uh-huh. he's a, a first lieutenant. And then to Beachhead, who I think is also a sergeant or a lieutenant. I'm not sure which. And Beachhead's new I'd have to look too. it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Uh, was Beach... No. I'm trying to remember. Beachhead was supposedly brought to the team from the Navy or the Marine Corps. I can't quite tell. Um, he was wears beachhead. Yeah, well, he wears like the 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 knit cap ski mask. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, the wears the camos. Yeah. yeah, it's more Nabalaklava, but yeah, it's it's essentially that. Um, he yeah. talks as though he's from the southeast, so that tells me it's more Marines. Yeah. Um, well, than anything. because he talks like he's thing. from North Carolina, okay. you know, Paris yeah. Island, that kind of thing. Um, but um. Yeah, so Beachhead, and then they're joined by Sergeant Slaughter, who is equal in rank uh, to Beachhead, as it turns out. Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, and Sergeant Slaughter is, of course, a training sergeant. Okay, so Beachhead is a sergeant major. Okay. Which means he, he has to be a Marine, because okay. that's that's they an Army that. or Marine Corps rank. Okay. So, yeah, first sergeant, sergeant major. Okay. And I don't understand why. Yeah, it's it's because they're they're not they're they're a pseudo military unit, not a actual like military unit. That's the only reason that uh, Duke outranks Flint. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, absolutely. Sorry, 
No, it's fine. It's it's, it's fine. Um so it's 1986. Mm-hmm. And we get to talk about DNA and Sergeant Slaughter here, which I am delighted about. So, I mean, you knew that I'd get to bring wrestling back into this somehow. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's you. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. So, Sergeant Slaughter. Okay. Yep. Um, 1986. Bob Remus, his wrestling career began uh, in, in the 1970s. And yeah, starting in the late 1970s, it started to kind of start gathering steam. Um, there's actually vanishingly little that I could find on the man. Um, but when he wrestled, like so many, uh, he started in the AWA. Okay, huge territory. Um, if you're tough, Vern Gagne is going to want to use you. Okay, but he was kind of a journeyman at the time, and he kind of dallied okay. at the top of the middle of the card, or he was at the bottom of the top of the card. You know, kind of okay, yeah, yeah. to the champion sometimes. Um, and and so as a result, he'd move around to different promotions a lot. Um, so as soon as his big angle with the AWA finished, he signed in with the WWWF, which right. actually okay. by that point, it might've just been the WWF. I, I never really looked into when they changed is sometime in there, okay. but in 1980, he, he came in as a heel and he was a heel who had so perfected his Cobra clutch that he offered a $5,000 bounty to all any who could break it. And okay. a Cobra clutch is essentially a modified sleeper hold. Okay, so don't right. think of it as the camel clutch. That's where I sit on your lower back and pull up yeah. your chin, right? Yeah, that's that's something for the Iron Sheik. The Cobra clutch is a modified sleeper hold, and basically you're pinching their arm to their neck. It's almost like okay. a an arm triangle, but you're standing and you're behind the guy. Okay. Right. Also, we've seen it as the million dollar dream. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but he perfected it, and it's just interesting to me that Sergeant Slaughter started with a move called the Cobra. The clutch. Cobra clutch. Yeah. Right. You you mentioned that, and that dinged. Yeah. Okay. Now that's almost two months uh, of uh, so five thousand dollar bounty. That is like almost two months of presidential astro- astrologer salary. Oh shit! Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so this... I, I had forgotten about that, but <laughs> thank you for bringing that back up. Sure. Okay. Uh, so this led to a couple of good angles. One where he got to wrestle white meat babyface Bob Backlund for the title. And then it went on to an angle with the aged but excellent veteran, Pat Patterson, one of the only guys who was kind of out in in private, uh, but amongst mm-hmm. the boys. Everybody knew he was queer, um, okay. but in public, people did not, right? Okay. Yeah. And he didn't well, actually ever... 1980. 1980, yeah. yeah. And Bob Backlund is actually the first international, or no, the first intercontinental champion of the WWF. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, no, did I say Bob Acton? I meant Pat Patterson. I apologize. Pat Patterson. Yeah, yeah. Pat Patterson. So he's a he's a, a French Canadian um who really was very successful in San Francisco. Um, okay. he and Ray Stevens were part of a, an incredible tag team, an incredible chemistry. And uh so he he comes back to the WWF and according to WWF lore, he won a tournament in Rio de Janeiro for the Intercontinental championship mm-hmm. thing is they never okay. had a show in rio yeah uh, I, I was gonna say really okay yeah. Yeah. so sergeant slaughter and he got into a huge feud and it ended with a brutal and bloody only eight minutes long alley fight match that essentially set the tone for a long while as to the height of bloody violence that you could expect from essentially a proto hardcore match 
Um, really? Yeah, it's it's really like I'm not a big fan of brawling wrestling, but yeah. it is compelling. Like these guys, like you could see there's real hate there. I mean, they do a good job of drawing in the entire crowd. And I want to say it was at Madison Square Garden or, or it might have been at the Boston Garden. But okay. I'm pretty sure it was Madison Square Garden, and it is bloody. And, I mean, these are guys who essentially look like your uncle who's been a, a long-haul trucker for 30 years, right? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, their, their bodies are not that impressive, to be perfectly yeah. honest. You know, they're not the big beefy cake guys yet, um, yeah. but they just draw the whole crowd in. And, I mean, Bob yeah. or uh, Bob Remus, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, he's balding already. These guys <laughs> look old. Yeah. But... Oh, my God, they commanded the crowd. So after that angle, he goes to the NWA, um, mostly. And remember, NWA is all over the country, but mm -hmm. he mostly stayed with Jim Crockett's territory in the Mid-South territories. Okay. And, and Sergeant Slaughter gets his first real singles title push, winning the U.S. heavyweight champion title uh, in a tournament, beating Johnny Weaver, um, who's an old timer uh, that okay. everybody really respected. But like. You know, when Johnny Weaver loses to you, you must be something, right? Okay. Um. So he beat Johnny Weaver in the first round. In the second round, he beat Jay Youngblood. And in the third third round, he beat, uh, for the championship, he beat Ricky. No, I'm sorry. He, yes, yes. Third round, he beat Ricky Steamboat. Okay. So, and Ricky oh, Steamboat wow. and Jay Youngblood were part of a tag team. Okay. Um. Ricky Steamboat is brownish. And Jay yeah. Youngblood pay, played a guy who was an Indian. Um, okay. a Native American, but with a yeah. long headdress because apparently that's all of them. So, uh, but <laughs> but he went through mm. both of those guys who were in a tag team at the time, right? So, okay, yeah, he he plowed through a bunch of good guys. Uh, gets the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> good Sorry, point. I had to. Anyway, yeah. well, yeah. especially when you realize that Ricky Steamboat's real name is Dick Blood. Bullshit. Nope, dead serious. Okay. <laughs> So he plowed through Dick why, Blood. Why? Uh, why did he change it? <laughs> I know because he was never a, perfect... a bad guy. Actually. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Good point. <laughs> that. So. All right. There you go. Yeah. Um. So eventually, before he goes off to Japan to wrestle Giant Baba, which is quite a big deal, he loses to Wahoo McDaniel, uh, who is, by this point, he's aged and bloated, but he is a brilliant 1960s wrestler who was actually of Choctaw Chickasaw heritage. Oh, cool. Who actually played football. I want to say for the jets. Um, and okay. uh, yeah, he was a legit tough guy. Um, but, uh, but I mean, like if it. you look up pictures of Wahoo McDaniel, you're like, really that guy, people paid money to see that guy. And the answer is yes, they did. <laughs> Charisma is a thing, man. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Remember, remember, in D and D, the charisma stat does not necessarily mean you're good looking. It means you're compelling. Exactly. And Wahoo McDaniel is the epitome of that. <laughs> like, you also don't have you know, to be smart. Uh, you just have to be compelling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Don't don't come at me with your hyperbole. Uh so <laughs> Uh, so he comes back to the WWF in 1983 for another run, right? And this is this yeah. is kind of how journeyman wrestlers would do: six months here, four months there, a program here, a mm -hmm. couple programs there, maybe a turn, and then you know you you try to get out when you're still hot. That was something that yeah. uh, the the Fabulous Freebirds were really good at. You might recognize the Fabulous Freebirds from the opening of Highlander, 
Okay. Remember, he's at the wrestling match. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. There's the, the yeah. bearded guy who kind of purses his lips and wiggles his hips, and he's got the blonde hair. Yeah, and... yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. the fabulous okay. three words. All right. Which is ridiculous that they'd be in New York at that. T- Actually, ooh, maybe it's not. No, it's not because they did spend like a, a hot cup of coffee in the WWF. <laughs> I have to chase that down, <laughs> but not right now. So yeah. I'm going to write that down for myself, though. Uh, But uh, so he he comes back for another run in in WWF in 1983. And I think by this point, Vince had bought the 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 promotion from his dad, um, Vince Sr. Um, And uh, he ran another program with the still champion, Bob Backlund. Um, And uh, he still comes in as this drill sergeant heel character. Um, mm-hmm. that he and he came into the Marine March song. He's one of the first people to come into music. And it starts with a whistle and he's got a whistle and he's got a riding crop and he wears the hat. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, it's a DI DI campaign hat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uh I think uh, I don't think he did it himself. I think it was somebody else made it for him, but Okay. Yeah, whether it's DIY or not, I don't know. But Oh, no. <laughs> screw you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he he has another program with Bob Backlund. Still can't get the title off of him. Um, mm-hmm. Now we know that Bob Backlund will lose to the Iron Sheik uh, in uh, mm-hmm. December of 1983 um, okay. through uh, kind of hinky means. Uh, basically, Arnold Scullin throws in the towel while Bob is in the camel clutch. And 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 by the way, as I think I've said before, uh, the Iron Sheik is a legit. Uh, shoot wrestler like he's a good wrestler and Bob Backlund would not lose to anybody who wasn't a legit wrestler yeah you you have mentioned that before mm-hmm. yeah that it's like so, no no if, if I'm gonna lose I gotta lose to somebody who who actually knows their shit yes. like you're, you're not yeah yeah now Sheik was more chill about like losing to Hogan uh, so Hogan wins the title off of the Iron Sheik in January of 1984 um, I forget exact date but uh, Sergeant Slaughter then turns face for probably one of the first times, um, certainly in the WWF, he turns face mm-hmm. because the Iron Sheik is bad-mouthing America and he is a drill instructor. Um, and so now he's defending the honor against uh, the Iron Sheik, yeah. fighting for America. Um, and, you know, Hulk Hogan is taking off with the Americana, with the I Am A Real America song, or A oh, Real yeah. American song, and all that yeah. kind of shit. All that stuff, yeah. Um, and it, it leads into a program with the Iron Sheik that, so so when you're the champion and you lose to the other guy, it's real easy to be like, I demand a rematch, right? Yeah. Um, we want Hogan to go on and fight other villains, though, right? Yeah. To build him and build him and build him. And, you know, we've already seen the big payoff of him beating the Iron Sheik, and it was pretty, uh, what's the word, decisive. Okay. So at the same time, though, you've still got, like, this guy used to be the champion. You've still got that rub. So you pair him off with another feud that matters and it's not for the title anymore. Right. And that way you kind of get Hogan to fight the, the, the heel factory that would come. Okay. So this leads into a program in the summer, uh, with that, that finishes off with a boot camp match in the summer of 1984. Again, Sergeant Slaughter's really big on like kind of the hardcore wrestling style. In a lot of ways, okay. like let's fight right. no DQs, let's do big brawls around the arena and shit like that. Okay. Um, and here's where I get to be Livy. Huh? 
Yes. <laughs> I just I love how when when we're talking about this stuff, you're uh-huh. able to bounce between the two. It's like the duality of man right. brought brought together. Like, you know, I'm this I'm this Latin scholar who knows all the stuff about classics kind of, you know, by exposure. And and I'm going to apply all of that to sparkly murder gymnastics. Yes, I like, am. <laughs> Like, and now and now I get to be Livy yeah. about live action beefcake soap opera. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't see the problem. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, the Romans, man, they're the Biff Tannen of the of the ancient world. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many layers to that metaphor. Yeah, like... there are. <laughs> and yes. Archimedes uh, was George McCl- McFly, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, fair, yeah. Um, huh. So, some say that Sergeant Slaughter left for the AWA because Vince McMahon didn't want him making money with the GI Joe cartoon voice work uh, and the likeness. Uh, and it's true that Vince McMahon uh, really hated not being the sole source of income for the independent contractors that he only offered opportunities to, not guaranteed money. Yeah. Others say. Well, because he's a prick let's you know yeah i mean it's it's, come on yeah and it's one of those i'm trying to build an empire you know you you know who he reminds me of he reminds me of the guy in kentucky fried movie oh yeah okay we're we're building an empire of incredible strength yeah yeah not that's not wrong yeah but yeah he wanted to be the sole source of income he doesn't like people moonlighting in any way shape or form he oh, yeah. would get to sign off on whether or not they went to Japan to do like a six week stint. You know, like you could easily do like, hey, um, injure me in this match, you know, kayfabe injure me and you know, yeah. I'll bleed and all that. And then I'll be back in like six weeks. I'm going to go run a program over in Japan. Um, there's no VHS tape trading yet. Like the, 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 yeah, well, yeah, if we're talking about aspect. the early 80s, yeah, there's right. no way you need to worry about that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. McMahon would regularly say, no, we need you here. Um, and then he wouldn't use people for like two or three weeks. It's like motherfucker, like, like as like as as retaliation for even asking. No, I don't think so. And that's the weird thing. Okay. It's like very often, uh, that kind of stuff was through like mild neglect and like just because he's running three shows a day sometimes. Yeah. Okay. And you'd think that they would get work, but then you know he'd put them on the C loop. Maybe that would be retaliation or just a reminder. Okay. Of like, you know, here's so you know you're working out of high school gymnasia. You know. Um, and then on the B loop, you're working out of like armories and shit. And then on the the A loop, you're working out of like civic center auditoria. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, so McMahon really doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to share his talent with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he basically told Sergeant Slaughter, no, uh, you don't get to, uh, you know, you, you, I, I, I don't want you, if you do voice work and sell your likeness and stuff like that with GI Joe, the cartoon, you can't work for us. Okay. Um, so that that's one side of the story. Others say that he left after he asked for a six week paid vacation and didn't get it and chose to no show a Montreal show. Okay. I'm inclined again. I'll keep living it up. I'm inclined to say it's more option a than it is option B. So, yeah. Although what's interesting is if you find interviews of Sergeant Slaughter, uh-huh. he will give credence to option B. 
Now, do you think that's like professional courtesy? Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be contract with them at times. Okay. Like if you take, if you correlate when he interviews, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's when he is working on a legends contract with, with the corporation that is now the WWE. Okay. So, but, um, he leaves, he leaves, um, okay. by 1985, uh, he is back in the AWA. And again, remember we've, we've gone back a bit, right? Yeah. So Hulkamania is running wild, brother. Right. Um, Geez, by March of 85, you have the first WrestleMania. Um, okay. And uh, Sergeant Slaughter goes back to the AWA where he had found success. Because Vern Gagne always wants more brawlers and tough guys. And so and when he's at the AWA, Vern Gagne was like, no, no, you can go ahead and do that stuff. That'll actually draw eyes to us. Right. So he sees it more like that. Now, Vern Gagne is also trying to sell kids toys. Um, that aren't even related to wrestling. He just wants a piece of it. There's like these ninja spinner toys that might not come for another couple of years, but it's it's weird. Okay. Gurganya is looking for ways to gather more money because his his federation is kind of one of the the few to stand out still. Okay. So Vince McMahon had gone through, and what he would do is he'd offer balloon payments. He would say to a promoter, you know, hey, uh, I want to buy your territory. Um. I will pay you a dollar right now. And I promise that by this date, I will have paid you the full value of your territory. And if I miss any payments, you okay. get to keep all my money. Um, and But at the end of it, if I pay you the whole amount, then your territory is mine. And while I'm paying you this dollar, I want to be able to use your stars. And people kind of saw the writing on the wall quite often, or they were mm-hmm. like, shit he's going to give us his money for free because there's no way that he can keep up these payments and McMahon would always keep up the payments and he would just gobble up these territories mm-hmm. and there are very few that he treated with any real respect uh, Calgary the Stampede territory he did and I want to say Memphis he did um, okay. but other than that he's like gobbling up a lot of the little territories so Vern Gagne sees this threat um, and uh, he's he's okay with this happening uh, so he brings in more brawlers because he's like, well, I've got top guys here. I've got Rick Martell here. I've got Nick Bockwinkle here. I've got big Scott Hall. Cause that was the AWA's answer to uh, yeah. Hulk Hogan. Like if you right. look up uh, Scott Hall, you'll see Razor Ramon. Yeah. Um, you'll see the guy from the NWO or, uh, but if you look up big Scott Hall, you'll see him in his infancy in the, in the, uh, in wrestling where he's okay. got like mouse brown hair. Big old Magnum uh, mustache, EI mustache, nice. And he's just got he's yoked. He's like two hundred ninety five pounds of just solid fucking muscle. Son of a bitch, really? Oh, he's a big old dude. Like if you look at him, he is deceptively small, um, because he's always around people bigger than him. But he's like six foot eight. Um, he's a big and he's dude. around people bigger than him. Uh-huh. Where did they find these seven foot fucking behemoths? Like. Yeah. holy shit goddamn space marines right yeah it's it's wild like if you think about like roddy piper is is like a really small wrestler right dude 6'2 250 like at his peak right if you look at him in um in they live he is enormous yeah well oh my god yeah but he's wrestler small so (laughs) So Vern Gagne, he brings in Sergeant Slaughter, right? Uh, and Slaughter begins wrestling for the AWA while wearing tights 
and and he typically will wear a singlet with long pants. And okay. so, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like the two straps yeah. and it comes yeah. down like yeah, yeah. the navel. Um, he's wrestling wearing tights that had the words G.I. Joe up the side, like as piping. Okay. Up and down the leg seams. And it has like the three colors. You know how like the G.I. Joe has like the red, white, and the blue, and it says G.I. Joe in the middle? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's on his tights. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And so Ganya wants to make use of that, and he creates a title for Sergeant Slaughter to win. And it's called the AWA America's Heavyweight Championship. It's essentially a secondary belt for the AWA that's like the U.S. title or the Intercontinental title. Okay. Um, and he wrestles all kinds of people. He wrestles wrestles uh, Colonel De Beers, who is a South African uh, colonel. Oh, and he says some racist shit. Uh, wow. Yes. So he wrestles... actually went with De Beers. Holy crap. Okay. Um, Damn. Yeah. yeah. All right. A little on the nose, but oh, spanking boy, murder gymnastics. So yeah. you know. So, wow. <laughs> by the way, I just I yeah. had to. I, I looked up Big Scott Hall, and mm-hmm. holy shit! Mm-hmm. You yeah. Not only were you not kidding, I think you undersold it. Yeah, he's he's a big dude. My like, God, All right? Yeah. yeah, he's, and he was green. Like they paired him with uh, Kurt Henning, who was the son of Larry the Axe Henning. Mm-hmm. And Kurt Henning is a fantastic technical wrestler, and he taught Scott all kinds of stuff. Cool. Um, wow. Yeah. Damn. Um, but anyway, so yeah, his his biggest money and profile matches won't come until after he's done working with G.I. Joe. So I'm going to kind of okay. put a halt on his career there. Okay. So in Arise Serpentor Arise, we have a double helix. We are introduced to a man named Dr. Mindbender, um, and he is uh, Cobra's top interrogation expert scientist and apparent bdsm expert um if if you look at how he's dressed uh yeah yeah yeah. uh they go all over the world again grabbing dna from different places so go to the place get the thing right yeah um cobra commander to open this this five-parter cobra commander has led a disastrous attack on the gi joe base that should have been a route because he's using these new battle android to- troopers, bats, um, and they're kicking the G.I. Joe's asses. And the G.I. Joe's, by the way, the whole reason that everybody's arguing with Beachhead and telling him you're not in charge, because Beachhead's like, they're all soft and, you know, we need to train them more. And then in the middle of all that, Cobra attacks their actual base and it should have been a route. And the only reason why it wasn't a route is because Sergeant Slaughter comes to the G.I. Joe's rescue and that's it. The G.I. Joes are getting their asses handed to them prior to that. But Sarge comes in and breaks all of the new androids. Um, okay. And and therefore, it, it goes down as a loss. And, you know, whether you lose by one or you lose by 50, it's a loss, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. now the upper echelons of Cobra's leadership, and we're talking Destro, Baroness, Dr. Mindbender, who's suddenly there, um, Tomax and Zamot, uh, mm-hmm. all of them are talking about how clearly cobra needs new leadership and so the result is dr bindmedger's plan to gather the dna and make the leader that they need okay so that means that they're taking dna from the following people julius caesar napoleon attila the hun philip ii alexander the great ivan the terrible vlad the impaler hannibal genghis khan rasputin montezuma geronimo and sun Tzu, which they sub out 
Sergeant Slaughter's own DNA instead of Sun Tzu's. Right, because they they do manage to stop him from getting Sun Tzu. Right. Yeah. But by and large, that's... Okay, Yeah. so back up. Yeah, sure. Alexander the Great uh-huh. and his father, Philip II, Philip um, of Macedon? No, that was Philip IV. Okay. Yeah, I believe. I believe. Okay. Like, if you go further okay. east of Rome, I'm fucked. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fair. I'm pretty sure that was Philip the Fourth. Okay. So yeah. But yeah, that's uh that's that's an impressive group of people a, to to stir up the juices of. That's that's a long ass list, is what that is. Yeah, it is. So and and several of them are just like, you know, reports that come in, you know. And the oh, thing yeah. is G.I. Joe doesn't know where they're going next. So it's real hard to to yeah. react, right? Yeah. I think at one point they are guarding Napoleon's DNA in France. Yeah. And they get beaten, um, which happens. Yeah. And and what's kind of cool about this is that G.I. Joe legit doesn't know what's going on. And they think that Cobra is using, and th- this is the complexity that I'm talking about. Normally, G.I. Joe doesn't know where they're going to strike next. And, you know, we got to figure that out. But now it's not only that, but they don't know what it's for. So yeah. they think, they actively think, as in, like, they say this out loud, um, that uh, it they don't know the real nature of the plot, but they think that they're trying to build an army of super soldiers genetically. Okay. So that's what they think is going on. Now, by the time they figure it out, it's like the fourth episode of a five-episode arc. Oh, and shit. It, yeah, and at that point, Sergeant Sauter gets captured. Um, right. And uh, he grabs the DNA capsule and, and throws it, and then they capture him. Um and uh, they use his DNA. Uh, so they use, uh, yeah, Dr. Mindbender combines his DNA with all the rest. And uh, meanwhile, Cobra Commander. Because, of, because yeah. of course, like like any good uh, uh, fertility doctor, yeah, uh, he has to he has to throw his own material in there. Yeah, precisely. You know, there's no law against that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love that. Like so many people now. Their argument is, well, it's not illegal. Yeah. Like, uh, how uh, how about it's fucking skeezy? It's wrong. Like, like it's wrong. How about can we can we go with that? Maybe. But did like, you die? You know, it's like that. But so, did you die? <laughs> so, uh, Cobra Commander, <laughs> in the meantime, has spent the whole time trying to sabotage this plan because he doesn't want to give up leadership. He doesn't like yeah. being pushed to the side, and he's actually working with um, Scrap Iron. Who is kind of a newish yeah. Cobra guy? He's a mechanic yeah. mostly, but like he seems to be Cobra's version of Beachhead in terms of the hierarchy. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. So really, what you have is a Fisher at the top, right? So eventually, Serpentora rises. Yes. Okay. It's not as dark. It, he's not as dark physically as yeah. the Serpentor who's in the comics. Um, yeah. And it's campy as fuck, too. Um, and one of his first acts is he beats the living shit out of Sergeant Slaughter. It just yeah. tears his ass open. Um, and eventually Serpentor takes Cobra and they storm Washington and they successfully take over the city. Um, which if you notice that this is like the first series after the one where they controlled the media. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of chronologically yeah. 
January it's oddly, oddly prescient. It's yeah. really weird. It. What if, and I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, what if the people who were running shit, this was the, the height of their capabilities to understand plans is that they're just watching like old reruns of GI Joe. Like that is way more believable than than any of the shit actually being peddled on the right. Like, like I can, I can, I can hear that and go, you know, I can buy that. Like that's that there's actually a note of plausibility to that. Yeah. Where Eric Trump is trying really hard to like keep back the name Serpentor. Like yeah. in in like you know Oval yeah. Office meetings. Like, yeah. Well, well, I have an idea. Just like you know, when Serpentor, what was that? Nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so eventually, yeah, would, it, would it be would it be Eric or Donald Jr. though? Oh, Donald, Donald Jr. would be talking a mile a minute. He's the reason why they'd have so much DNA. Um, <laughs> because he's just like you know, you need to get okay. Here's what you, you know. <laughs> just. <laughs> Peruvian marching powder. Yeah. Right. Um so, so anyway, sorry. So eventually they lose, right? G.I. Joe yeah. wins the day. Uh yeah. but there's a new game in town and the stakes seem very much deepened ultimately. Yes. Um to the point where the the president is threatened with murder. Like they they don't represent the president because this is Ronald Reagan at the time. They don't represent him, they just have a bunch of senators who are like, the president would never. Well, then he'll die, and we've already captured him. Okay, we'll relent. Like, it's a real quick turnover. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then after this, it, it's almost as though they had another episode in the can from last season that they didn't use. Yeah. Um, because none of the characters that we just saw are in this. There's no mention of Serpentor or anything like that. Um, But then after that, so, so you got the first five, Arise, Serpentor, Arise. And then you have like a weird bottle episode that seems to be uh like a throwback. Oh, we forgot this. Yeah, we forgot this from the previous season. Let's not waste it. Mm-hmm. It would be like in the middle of this, we did the Alamo episode. Um, so yeah. Um, but then after that, uh, they get into some of the new character concepts, right? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So one of the main concepts is uh is computerization. They push on this a lot in 1986. Well, the, the, the bats became a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Well, because they had little holograms inside. Oh, yeah. No, I had one. It was like lenticular, though. So you could, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It was, no, it was, it was yeah. Um, I actually wound up pulling my my bat figure apart. Oh, you because I had, I well, no, hold on. I had, okay. I had a first edition uh, Snake Eyes model or Snake oh, Eyes toy where you had, had stupid goggles. Where where he had the stupid yeah. goggles Instead and, of the stupid and where he yeah. didn't have the, the elbow twist. Right, right. Yeah, he was up and down. Yeah, and his, his right arm had gotten broken. Oh, okay. So I, I pulled the bat apart and gave Snake Eyes a cyber arm. Okay. And and then took took I I used a dime and, and my thumbnail to scrape the Cobra logo off this because the sleeves right. on the robot arm were black. So they matched yeah. with his, with his outfit. So I was able to give him a cybernetic arm, oh. which was more, more capable than his regular oh, human wow. arm. So it, like it made sense. It was, yeah, it was yeah. cool. A, we can rebuild him. We yeah. Have technology. Yeah, I did. So yeah. there you go. All right. But anyway, so- my little brother, uh, we we used to joke in the family. There were two jokes that were pervasive in the family. One, okay. 
all of us were named after different uh, Winnie the Pooh characters, and I was Eeyore. So that should tell you plenty. Uh, two, um, okay. I was like 11. Yeah. <laughs> like, two, that my little brother would grow up to become a stress test engineer because he would take his toys and he would push them against the wall and lean into them until they broke. Okay. Later on, he did start kind of sitting all of his characters, all of his his, his guys. Mm. He would rebuild them. Uh, and okay. Like take Magneto's body and put it underneath so-and-so's head and shit like that. Like, okay. He really did get into that. But for the longest time, we thought he'd be a stress test engineer because of <laughs> how much he took things to their breaking point. Wow. Um, and he was systemic about it, too. It was really okay. Cool. Yeah, or huh. systematic about it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there's yeah. an episode that, that pops up called Computer Complications, and it's an episode that highlights the character named Mainframe, which mm -hmm. that should tell you right there how old this yeah. is. Jesus. So, yeah. For people who don't know, a mainframe uh, is a giant room computer, essentially. Yeah. You know. Um, anyway. Nowadays, highlights... nowadays, the closest thing to a mainframe is a server farm. There you go. Basically. And server farm just doesn't sound cool as a name. It it really doesn't. Yeah. No. They'd probably call him crypto. <laughs> no, crypto would be a Cobra agent. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so it highlights him. And what's interesting is that he immediately gets into a romantic relationship. Well, not immediately. It grows through the episode with Zartan's sister, Zarana. Okay. So you've got the Baroness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, objectively the hottest of all of them. Yeah. Ob, ob, uh, it's an objective fact. Yeah. 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 She she is objectified and and yes. Well, yes. Um, but uh see, I'm I'm yeah. going to I'm gonna push back on objectively the hottest female character, objectively mm -hmm. the hottest of the Cobra characters. I I have I have a thing for Scarlet, which oh, I Jesus know you Christ. don't share yeah. because it's the genetic thing you always talk yeah. about. But yeah. 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 See, yeah. so there you go. So yeah. for weird ass fetishists, it's Scarlet, but for normal people, it's Baroness. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. And besides, you know Baroness is like a, a total dom. So Mommy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy. Sorry. Yeah. But okay. So you had Lady J, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. short brown mousy hair. Uh, but it was uh -huh. it yeah. was you know short and kind of styled. You had Scarlet yeah. who had her hair in a ponytail, and you had Cover Girl whose hair was kind of forgettable, but it was short ish, but yeah. it was kind of long. It was, yeah, I, I don't know, Doors Day long, maybe. Um, yeah, so but then you had Zorana whose hair was Sean Young from Blade Runner short, it had that wild dangerous kind of shortness to it okay like, well sean young in in blade runner had her hair up in a 1940s do oh, so her hair wasn't really that no. short it never was, mind like it was styled like she was wearing a snood oh never mind i i again this is what happens okay. when you sleep through movies yeah. um but who who had really short hair like that then Anyway, you could probably look up Zorana and see what her yeah, hair looks yeah. like. But it's it's very stylized. It it feels very punk rock, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, so she's got that. But she's also Zartan's sister. So she's a mistress of disguise, right? Um, right. So the plot is that there's a space probe that contains antimatter, and it crashed into the ocean. And both the Joes and Cobra are trying to get it because it's got antimatter. 
And Zorana is sent in to sabotage G.I. Joe's robot submarines that they were going to use to raise the sunken battleship or the sunken um, aircraft carrier, the USS Flag. Right, right, right. She goes in under the guise of a government computer specialist. And at one point, she straight up threatens to bring mainframe up on harassment charges. It's 1986, and she calls out his kind of creepy, I want to date my coworker, I'm hitting on you, and I'm in charge of you vibe. And she's like, okay. straight up, I will bring you up on harassment charges. Okay. Which, that's, it's really interesting to see what they what they nail, like what they grab onto and, and what they really, uh, yeah. you know? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say if you're gonna compare her haircut to anybody in Blade Runner, it's uh, Daryl Hannah. Okay. In Blade Runner. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see her hair, you see the punk rock yeah. look that I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so she's there to oh. sabotage their their robot submarines that mainframe is programming. Um. In her deep cover, she ends up falling for mainframe too because he apologizes and he's, you know, let me take you out for coffee and, and all that. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's especially notable is that this relationship actually remains through the rest of the season and it remains as a sore spot for each of these two characters. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, later on in the season where they're all um, shrunk down to child children uh, okay. from, a, from an overactive youthful formula gas Okay. Um, mainframe is one of them and she lets him go uh like like straight up she's like you know get out of here uh you know go free and he thanks her um the other thing like first off you don't see complex arches period in season one secondly oh, no. you certainly don't see them stretch over the whole season no um and thirdly mainframe is interesting because in the very first times that we see him, he mentions his kids and Halloween and how much they loved Halloween. And he also mentions uh, his ex-wife. Hmm. So there's a couple things here. He has a life outside of G.I. Joe. Yeah, He's which divorced. we've never heard about anybody right. having before. Right. I mean, Flint does go to visit his cousins, right? Um, yeah. And Roadblock goes and visits his parents with the red rocket in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they do grab all the relatives and brainwash them for that, that yeah, two-parter, yeah. right. Um, including like, uh, gung ho's 200 plus Cajun relatives. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, we meet Scarlett's three brothers and her dad, you know, and we, yeah, yeah. we, we meet a few people, but mainframe is talking about an ex-wife and his children, how much he yeah. misses them. So this means that he has at the very best, split custody. He's got a life outside of G.I. Joe. And most importantly, he's had sex. Okay, yeah. Because he's got kids. Yeah, okay. It's the first mention of any sex at all. And which is wild because you see Baroness and Destro getting all smoochy. And you see Flint and Lady J hint at a relationship. And Scarlet yeah. and Duke the same. And you see Shipwreck trying and trying and trying to hit on CoverGirl. Um, yeah. And he falls in love with like a, a, a cobra woman at one point who's been genetically modified. Um, yeah. So her skin's blue. But mainframe yeah. has fucked 
and mainframe <laughs> has children as a result of that fucking and mainframe is divorced all right yeah so as yeah. a result of this episode here's the other thing you have overarching things that are that are happening as a result of this episode the USS flag sank because cobra got the probe but then they crashed their aircraft into the flag and both sides lost, which is also a rarity in G.I. Joe. Yeah. So another episode actually saw a scene. Interesting. Captain... This is, mm-hmm. sorry, this is 86. Yes. And Cobra's aircraft crashed into the flag uh-huh. carrier. Yeah. On what level do uh-huh. you think that's a uh, callback to uh kamikaze tactics in world war ii and you know the 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 japan yellow peril thing like i don't think think? much i don't because cobra is not coded as being um in any way asian um and they're also it was not a suicide run okay Um, it was you know because that guy got out it's it's fucking gi joe of course yeah 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 yeah, yeah, well yeah of course but it still sank it i mean don't get me wrong the 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 whole a thing crashing into a thing and sinking it Absolutely, that's there. Okay. Um, but I think that's okay. maybe where it where it ends. You know. Okay. Um, Just that occurred yeah. to me. Like this is the mid eighties. Wait. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, kids are watching this at home yeah. alone. Right. So another episode sees a sea captain trying to commit suicide after try after refusing to give up his commission on the USS Montana. I want to say. Um, and then serving Cobra with complete with like a red admiral's outfit um, and betraying the United States so that he could s- still be the captain of his ship. Like, OK, yeah, I mean, it's it's like, again, this is a complexity that we have not seen. Wow. Right. And his um, and his crew presumably went along with him or did Cobra no, just replace to, all the sailors? Apparently, you're the only one that's needed on a ship if you're the captain. <laughs> so. Yeah, his crew had okay. already discharged. Okay, because um, there's, there's. I think Cobra brought all their guys. But, okay, that yeah. all right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, here's a guy who's like saying his life is not worth living. He's hinting right. at suicide. Like, that's the option. Wow. Um. Yeah. In another episode, they go to Bangkok. Um. But you know, go to the place, do yeah. the thing, right? But it's yeah. totally fucking Vietnam. Um. And and I mean it's totally Vietnam because you have it complete with GI Joe helicopters dropping napalm, but on Cobra planes, uh, small squad fights, but with all Cobra using the villages as cover. So GI Joe still firing into the village, but Cobra is using the village as cover. Um, we talk about a reimagining. Um, yeah, you look shocked. (laughs) Oh, it it gets it gets uh, deeper and weirder. I understand I, uh-huh. I watched all this. Like yes. this this is this, and a lot of these things that you've been talking about, like, yeah, okay, I remember that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I kind of vague, I vaguely recall that. Yep. Yeah. How do I not remember this at all? Good question. Okay. This one centers around the dirt the dust children. Uh, who who Leathernick knows them, talks to them, um, because apparently he was there. And okay, yeah, and Leatherneck being the Marine, right? Yeah, and, well, they've got several yeah. Marine, like they've got Gung Ho, right, and Leatherneck, like yep. they got anyway, yeah, and Beachhead, and um, Beachhead, and then you've also got Wetsuit, who's a seal. Um, yeah, and he and Leatherneck hate each other, but they're the best of friends, they're frenemies, 
But yeah. Leatherneck straight up talks to the Joes about, I think this is the episode that uh, Beachhead's voice is voiced by someone different too. But he talks to the Joes about the Dust Children and about how uh, the Dust Children are kids who are fathered and abandoned by American GIs during the last war. That's what the plot centers around. The fuck? Yeah. Really? Yes. I mean, Man, it that's centers, heavy. Yeah, it centers around that and like hella racist accents. Um, but, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. But the reason why they're going into the jungle to fight against Cobra in who's using these villages as cover um, is because they're actually trying to stop Cobra from harvesting a special mind control gum that comes from a refined source of a plant juice that can be medicinal or it can zap your brain. Yeah, opium to heroin. Opium. In in not Vietnam, Vietnam. This is in a kid's the, cartoon. <laughs> that like, we watched alone. This is this is this is such an example of of animation ghetto leading to really serious shit being just out there without anybody mm -hmm. paying any fucking attention because it's a cartoon. Right. Like I'm 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 gobsmacked. Yes. Like I, I thought you would be with this particular episode. Fucking yeah. A. Yeah. Wow. All right. So the next episode, you see the G.I. Joes uh, fighting against Cobra, and they accidentally burn down an entire orphanage in pursuit of something. You're going to love this. Cobra has gotten a hold of this device. Oh, no. And the G.I. Joes are are trying to get them to, you know, they, they, they basically fight it so that actually it drops, and now everybody's hunting down this device. Um, and this is the reason for the, you know, the orphanage getting burnt down. And so G.I. Joe is um, rebuilding the... Uh, the the orphanage while some of them uh are looking for the device would you like to take a guess at what the device is called oh no i just lay it on me the mcguffin device <laughs> fucking hey yeah because <laughs> the writers were just like you know what they're kids yeah yeah, fuck it. Like, come on. Let's let's have fun with this. Let's play with it. Why? And you it know, absolutely. You know, do point. you know what it does? Exactly what shipwreck needs it to do at the end. And that's what okay. it brings to life, like this fairy tales that he's telling the 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 orphans, so that they can then go fight Zartan. The fairy tale characters can. Okay. And yeah, yeah. We just it, that's that's like the the or that everybody is hunting for in avatar being mm -hmm. called unobtainium. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just, just hang a lampshade on it. Just right. totally. Yeah. Like, no, we're, <laughs> we're not even, you know what? The, the, it, and, and, and anytime anybody is that brazen about it, I look at it and I'm like, okay, one of two things is going on here. Either. Are you that fucking lazy? <laughs> or are you, actually looking at me the audience member going no fuck you i'm i'm like you know no yeah no, I'm, I'm i'm just i'm gonna i'm I'm not you know what i'm not i'm not gonna play around about it i'm just gonna fucking tell you outright right like you know right yeah 
I'm not, I'm not going to define what the hell this thing does. It's just critically important and you need to fucking do it. We have a narrative. Follow yeah. the rules of the narrative. Like, right. Follow the MacGuffin device. Well, what are we yeah. going to call it? The MacGuffin device. Yeah. Serious? Yeah, yeah. You mean not as a placeholder? No, no. I no, no. That's, that's actually it. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's it do? Eh, whatever you need it to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do we say it does in the in the story? About that. About, yeah, that's pretty much it. So it, it, here's what I do find interesting. That Shipwreck is the one with whom all the orphans identify the most. Because Shipwreck admitted in the previous season that, in fact, he's also adopted. Right. He was trying. I to... do remember that yeah. detail. Yeah. So kind of interesting, especially since he's the one who's always looking for love. Especially mm. since he's also the horny sailor. Like there's a, there's a mm -hmm. few aspects there, right? Yeah. And he's got Polly with him, and and Polly is you know an adopted bird, as it were. Yeah. Oh Christ! There was an episode where Polly got grown to be really huge too. I don't know if I covered that in here, but anyway, you, no. Uh, but, <laughs> but we're walking. We're yeah. walking. Yeah. So the next episode focuses on Lifeline. Um, and Lifeline is a new character and he dresses all in red and white and he looks like mm -hmm. the Swiss flag. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. he, he is, uh, he helps, uh, a woman and her father, uh, he rescues them. He, he works with Lift Ticket a lot. Lift Ticket is the one who like flies basically Hueys, but they're turned into rescue Hueys. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they save a, a, a socialite and his daughter, uh from a sinking yacht um and what we find out about lifeline we actually find it out about him in the very first episode um lift ticket says you know hey can you pass me that wrench he's like i don't know if i feel comfortable helping you fix a a vehicle that has weapons on it and so right yeah he's a pacifist he's a pacifist in the way that people in 2015 went to crossfit um <laughs> he will tell you all about it yeah at every opportunity because you asked him like hey do you have like a, a level that we can use to measure the studs well as a pacifist yeah. it's like what uh -huh. um, what yeah. yeah so yeah. uh the the daughter falls in love with him um and and just showers him with gifts including like a golden helicopter which yeah i'm yeah i i vaguely remember this yeah. is another one of the ones I vaguely remember. Yeah. Yeah. Her name's Amber. Um, yeah. and he goes to her house to let her know. And he's here's the thing. Lifeline is this guy who is just, I mean, irritating, but at the same yeah. time, he is deeply moral. Yeah. And he doesn't and, lord and, it and, over others. He's just it, irritating with it. Yeah, he's just intensely earnest. Yeah. 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 Um, so he goes to her place and uh he tells her that, like, hey, you can't keep giving me gifts and trying to give me new uniforms and shit. Like you know, we already have a dress code in G.I. Joe. It's really loose. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Gung Ho? Um, <laughs> if you haven't, don't. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, so he goes to her house and while he's there telling her that it's over and that it never really started, um, Serpentor shows up because Serpentor, as great as he was in the beginning of the season is now reduced to essentially holding up and robbing a rich man. That's it. That's, wow. that's the whole thing. That's his goal to roll a rich guy. Wow. Yeah. Huh? 
And Cobra's desperation continues, by the way, because the next episode, they literally run a telethon to raise money for criminals and terrorists. Yeah, I remember I remember that bit. Yeah. The um, camp in that one was was oh, overwhelming. So high. Yeah. Like um, like as an eleven year old, I watched that one going, right. Wow. <laughs> Like, I remember like, having episodes that I did not like. This was one of them because of how fucking cheesy it was. Yeah. And also, any episode where you are, like, highlighting and focusing on dial tone, like, you know, fuck, you know. As a as a character. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, like, he, come on. He's the least of them, you know. Yeah. Same, same with, um. oh, God, what was his name? Is it Airborne? The guy who was the chemical weapons specialist? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but neither of those guys code name but yeah 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 yeah. um so but yeah they're they're running a telethon to raise money for criminals and terrorists in order to delete all known terrorist activities from every international database in the world because apparently already there's international databases in the world in 1986 um it's it's so bad but yeah by the way it's not airborne Mm. it's worse than that aerosol airtight airtight oh my god we know whose day it was in the uh, barrel that day don't we? <laughs> uh, all right anyway sorry so yeah there's there's a huge no please i'm i'm glad you did that uh he he actually taught me that uh seeds have a little bit of uh cyanide or arsenic in them from last season Remember oh yeah, yeah right okay so but but again he's not a very interesting character no um, so there's a huge, you know, it's interesting. The, both of those characters, uh, wore the same, roughly the same shades of green and yellow. Um, yeah, and maybe that's true. I, yeah. Different kind of pattern, but yeah, yeah same, yeah. same, same, same coloring. Yeah. But there's a huge focus on the efforts through computers in this episode, which I found mm. interesting. Um, in general, you have the term hacking being used, uh, mainframe oh. actually hacks into their system. And you actually have a computer virus in this episode. He talks about inserting a computer virus, and they actually explain to 11-year-old you, and that would have made me... Six. Yeah. Like, was I verbal at that point? No, like nine-year-old me. Um, But he explains to us, after school, while we're home alone, what a computer virus is. And how it works. You have the how it works aspects. You have Mm. repeated. You have DNA that's been explained. You've had this. You've had pacifism. You've had like Mm -hmm. a lot of shit getting explained to us. Um, Okay. Yeah, I know you're right. And then I even wrote down this quote from that that episode. Quote. I think this is mainframe saying it. Yeah, those lines must be for the modem hookup that interfaces with the FBI's mainframe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now and and the funny yeah. thing is the funny yeah. thing is that's that's techno babble that isn't techno babble that actually means shit. Yeah, that that named things that actually exist. Yeah, that, and that actually work use. together and actually work together that way. Yeah, it's not like bring me a hydro spanner, which yeah. I think is a hydrogen wrench. I don't know. Yeah, like I wonder. I yeah, like you know, what? Yeah. A lot of people are like, well, where's the water? I'm like, no, no, it's like hydrogen. It's But so the first cyber law, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, was enacted in 1986. Okay, then. 
IBM released the IBM Personal Computer XT Model 286, which operated up to three times faster than earlier models of the PC XT in most applications. Okay. Also, 2400 baud BPS modems came out on the market that same year. Okay. The Hacker Manifesto was published in January of 1986. Okay. So computers are a thing and they're starting to become much more um universalized in in personal home life. Well, by that time, mm-hmm. um my family had bought an IBM PC Junior. Okay. And I want to say 85. Okay. No, it might have been it might have been in 84. We had we we got our our family's first computer. I think the year that the PC Junior was released, which would have been eighty four. It was okay. while we were in Hawaii. Uh huh. And yeah, so yeah, eighty six. Yeah, it's, it's still a very new kind of thing, right? For sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I I. I mean, when I met my dad, we when he moved in, uh, we had I think an Osborne something or other computer where like you could play a text based game and mm-hmm. it would ding when something would happen. Um, yeah. And then we got the Atari ST five hundred. I want to say had okay. no hard drive, had just two two small uh, disk drives. Yeah. Uh, with the three and a half inch floppies, like I. I didn't the, have much the time with hard, the, the hard plastic Harder ones. Hard plastic ones, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because because the PC Junior, we, we got one that had two floppy drives, mm-hmm. and it was the actual, you know, floppy, right? You yeah, know, the, the kind, eight, kind the, of plasticized cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, what I remember, what I still remember about that was we always used the top drive to put in the disk for the operating system. Oh, okay. And you'd you'd boot the computer up with that one, and when right. the computer was running, you'd open that, you'd you'd un undo that drive, and then put whatever it was you wanted to run on it. Wow! In the other drive, close that, and then run the program. Wow! Because the, the computer didn't have enough RAM, right? Uh, right. To, or or didn't have enough uh, hard drive space mm-hmm. to store mm-hmm. DOS. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, we. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, and and I if I were to tell that story to to students today, they'd look at me like the 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 the, the what disc, right? Like floppy what? Right. Yeah. Like yeah, for us it was um you had the two discs, the one on top, the the A drive and the B drive. Yeah, and you, based on what game you were playing or what program you were running, you would you know it was just it was very modular. You know, it was like okay, now insert disc two, now reinsert disc one. Mm-hmm. Now insert disc two, yeah, and, and oh, you know, yeah. then All I the can play Ultimate yeah. Two. Uh, <laughs> Ours was Dad. Dad liked uh, King's Quest. Okay, and yeah, the original yeah. one with sure, sure. you know not even I don't think it was even eight bit graphics. Wow. So that's yeah. So uh, yeah, all of that's happening, and they're they're hacking and putting in a virus and, okay. and doing all this. Now, after this, there's another attempt to get more money for Cobra, of course. Um, okay. Quite frankly, it's it's wild how many episodes revolve around Serpentor, the genetically purposely created leader 
and all of his efforts are on fundraising. Um, maybe they, they give him a double dose so of Julius Caesar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Napoleon was Napoleon was was not above a good grift himself. True, but, but like yeah. Caesar's whole reason for being was to oh, you know well, stay yeah, ahead of I mean, his debts. Yeah. So. <laughs> But anyway, I took over the entire Roman political system just to pay off my debts. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to just to pay off the mortgage. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you know, you guys could have passed a law like forgiving student loans. No, no, this is better. No, 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 no. I, I had to take the army across the Rubicon. This yeah. was the only way. <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, he uh, what do you call it? Um. Uh, Serpentor, uh, yeah, he's this time he's trying to raise money by funding a youth stealing technology for a woman named Madame Vale, who's a fashion mogul who's literally stealing youth from models in her employ. And in exchange, she'll give Cobra lots of money. I mean, it's literally just that. So hire these fashion models, bring them in, hook them up to a machine, and she sucks their youth out in some sort of weird way. Um, extensive, extensive enterprises brokers this deal, right? So they're back of course in the they mix. do. Um, and there's actually two of these episodes in the second season, which is really oddly specific, where you have um, old yeah. women trying to be beautifuler, essentially by by stealing from young women. Weird. It is until you start peeling the layers back. Um, okay. And I, I don't mean that as a facelift joke either. Um, the thing is, beauty in the 1980s tended to revolve around fitness and nutrition, encouraging athletically toned bodies, body suits, and tracksuit bottoms. Okay, yeah. In Jane 19- Fonda. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Got it. In 1985, John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis starred in a movie called Perfect, which was a dramatic romance that centered around a Rolling Stone reporter who goes to do an expose on a computer manufacturing plant uh-huh, mm-hmm. and is accused of being a drug kingpin. Um. Okay. Now I think it's the owner uh, of the computer manufacturing plant who's accused of being a drug kingpin. Oh, okay. Right. Um, but he also researches another story about how empty and image conscious Los Angeles is. So Travolta's character finds the Sports Connection, which is openly advertising itself as a fitness club where singles can meet, and he gets the green light from the club owners to use it for his story. So John Travolta decides that he wants to focus on Jamie Lee Curtis's character at the center of his story. Uh, Curtis leads the club's most popular aerobics class where many couples have met in their while their bodies are gyrating side by side. Now, she doesn't want to be in his story, implying that she had been burned by the press in the past, but she's totally down to get to know him in the personal sense. Okay. This movie's got sex, it's got image, and it's got aerobic sex play. Um, I don't know how it lost seven million dollars at the box office, but you know, uh, <laughs> especially when you watch this. Okay, so you've watched about a minute and fifty of this. What are your reactions yeah, so far um, before I make okay. you play again? <laughs> okay, so. Because you're so, right, we should be recording your reaction. Yeah, because yeah, sweet Jesus. All right, uh-huh. so um, 
in, at, at around the same time when when you're, you're talking about you know during the 80s the the standard of beauty you know having to do with athleticism and, and fitness and all that mm-hmm. side note before you hear my commentary about this scene <laughs> um sometime around 83 or 84 um my mother uh developed a thyroid issue and i don't remember whether i want to say it was hyperthyroid and she thought she was going crazy for like nine months because that's that's what hyperthyroidism will do to you and she she got diagnosed with it one of the things the doctor recommended to her was okay you need to you need to you know if, if you exercise in addition to the you know thyroid medication and everything we're, we're going to give you um exercise is is one way to help kind of control this sure and my mother became w- one of the converted to uh-huh. uh 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 aerobic aerobic exercise she she took it up with with the zeal of the converted uh to this day uh mm-hmm. now um I will simply say she's in her seventies. Okay. And my mother goes to uh, an ex- goes to more than one exercise class a day, five or six days a week. Okay. She is this. This is this is a this is a thing for her. It is something she is passionate about. Um, and so I have by by proximity, I've seen a lot of aerobics classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of aerobics classes. I, I know aerobics classes, aerobics classes are good friends of mine. And this is no real aerobics class mm-hmm. is what I have to say what? Uh, about this. I, you know, Just... your mom being the expert, I do believe it is incumbent upon you to send her this link and ask her, <laughs> is this what she's doing? Five, six uh, days no, I'm no. Okay. No. Okay. For the same reason that I'm very glad what you said about my wife coming into the room while I'm watching this scene did not come to pass. Speaking of which, you should hit play. Yeah, I should. Now, so, what, just real quick, what 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 is the timestamp where you're at? Okay, I am at two oh eight out boy. of four minutes fifty five. All right. And we have already seen the the clip started with the most unrealistic neck gyration like neck mobility taken to 11 exercise at the very beginning of the clip. I was like, Oh, okay. This is Hollywood fucking around. Like, no. And we have moved to, um, like pornographic hip thrusts in, 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 in synchronized everybody in the room. Yeah. Okay. Hitting play. God Uh damn it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And Jamie Lee Curtis is experienced. Like, I can't help but think Jamie Lee Curtis, like between shots, was like, okay, how am I gonna sell this? Yeah. I'm gonna like, no, I'm I'm just gonna take this completely over the top because yeah. come on. And now they're doing this weird, like leaning, leaning forward, doing a low, fairly low squat, leaning forward and and like doing a spine torsion thing with their shoulders. Uh-huh. And now they're back up to <laughs> a, a higher level squat and they're back to the back to the pornographic <laughs> hip thrusts again and john travolta clearly is wearing a sock in his shorts like come on like no yeah all right that, but, that's, that's still, about it's all, all you hip need. thrusts yeah well you gotta isolate it's all, those hips. there's nothing else going like yeah. no there's no okay no they're not lifting their knees there's no like 
that's this isn't actually a very good oh now they're on their backs they yes. just like rapid cut to yep. they're all on their backs doing doing pel- which is at least a real exercise but the way they're all doing it oh is, and yeah have you gotten to the like, slamming part yet yeah, a, yeah the what part the part where they're slamming it oh yeah <laughs> yeah like, like come on no that's okay and now and now doing doing hip some kind of leg elevation open up your hips. knee elevation yeah. <sighs> all right that'll do just that'll okay do. and crunches yep crunches all right that's uh-huh and yeah and yeah travolta travolta is really overselling it here yeah so like i said i don't know how this movie perfect Lost seven million dollars uh-huh. at the box Lost. office. I do you do you want a list like just out of this scene by itself? No. no okay. Right. All right. Go but, ahead and turn it. Wow. Out. So so. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. I have gleefully. Okay. <laughs> My God. That's. What have you done to me? Well, God it's what I've done to your algorithms that's really going to piss Yeah, well, it's, it's, oh, shit. Oh, the Damn amount of it, shit that even... I get in my social media advertised to me, I'm like, why is this? Oh, right, I wrote an article, oh. on that, or I wrote a podcast. Yeah, this. right, the I, podcast. Oh, God yeah, I, I was okay. doing research, yeah. Well, good, hoarder <laughs> food, great. <laughs> God damn it. Ah, uh, yes, food in a bucket, love Right, it. so... So yeah. in the 1980s, uh, supermodels and bodybuilding became a very popular sensation, along with leg warmers and big hair. Uh, Arnold and Sly were in peak form. You talked about this in your masculinity episodes. Oh, uh, yeah. Cynthia Rockrock or Rothrock. Cynthia Rothrock. God, I can't say her name. Anyway, she got her start in 1985. She's a, a white female martial artist. Yeah. Um, a lot of cop movies where she's the cop who can kick really high. Yeah, uh, Jane Fonda was selling her workout tapes, VHSs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Karen Carpenter had died of anorexia nervosa induced by heart failure, or, or which induced a heart failure. Yeah, uh, beauty was the queen, but not without a lot of harm that was bubbling up. Uh, bulimia nervosa showed up in the DSM 3 in 1980. From there, right. the cases seem to skyrocket, although I think it's much more that people knew specifically what they're looking at and they knew yeah. what they were when, when did Princess Diana reveal that she had had an eating disorder? I want to say they didn't come for another couple of years. That was, the, was okay. I think it was late 80s. Okay. Um, but by the 1980, mid-1980s, uh, bulimia nervosa was up to about 40 per 100,000. Okay. Which is pretty high. Uh, yeah. In fact, Dana Plato's last episode of Different Strokes was the bulimia episode that aired in I... January of 1986. Yeah. Very special episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so clearly, beauty and the damage that it does is in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. The pressure of looking perfect has become an unhealthy obsession for some. And then that brings us back to G.I. Joe. Right. Okay. Madam okay, Vale. Yeah absolutely is willing to sacrifice other people's lives because she's working with extensive enterprises and she's evil as shit. And, uh, and that's GI Joe's take on it. Okay. Militarism against capitalism again. Yeah, exactly. Reagan fighting Reagan. (laughs) 
Uh, okay. Also, the 1980s saw a marked increase in the uh, cryopreservation efforts as well. <laughs> right. And yeah. so it's it's really no wonder that Cobra thinks that human vanity will let Cobra squeeze humanity for all its money to avoid aging, which is actually what they were plotting. Okay. They also do an episode of genetic tinkering, uh, creating animal-human hybrids in a Jamaican biodome for Arctic animals in Antarctica. Okay. Yeah, that that that's yeah. a sentence that I got to write. Uh, <laughs> How's that algorithm looking? Uh, <laughs> now this is eighty six, right? So it's well yeah. ahead of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and George W. Bush's State of the Union speech, where he mentions the dangers of human animal hybrids. Right. Right. Um, um. It's yeah, you know. So mm-hmm. one of the things we haven't we haven't talked about very much mm-hmm. so far is is the the relationship between like where the TV show went and where the comic book went. That's and true. And it strikes me now. You say this is before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. This is before the TV show. Right. But Eastman and Laird had started the comic i gotta look it up to double check um i want to say they'd they'd started the comic by now i think they started the comic in 1984 okay yeah all right so there there might have been i don't know yeah, there, there might have been something there, there might be something there you're right yeah there might be something but but there. it's yeah but it's 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 before tmnt became what it's, it became yeah it's it's certainly before yeah. the cartoon um yeah the comic was if i recall it was just mirage comics it was an independent comic oh yeah yeah it was so, yeah it was not yeah i i that being said though marvel certainly had plenty of freelancers so it's not like they oh, wouldn't yeah. have known eastman and laird yeah, and and Eastman and Laird were parodying Daredevil. Oh, fully in the in the like all yeah, over hundred percent. Like so, you got you the know. same cause of the powers. You, your master yeah. is named after a part of wood, stick, yeah. or splinter. Splinter, um, hand versus foot clan. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you've got. All of these things going on, but uh, what I'm not mentioning right now is what I'm actually going to uh, finish off. Uh, this is turned into a four-part series. What I'm going to yeah. finish off with in the next episode, and that is specifically Reagan-based things. So this okay. has been the the entirety of what we saw this time was culture, 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 right? Right. I mean, it, right, right. It's all yeah, the yeah. stuff that's in the yeah. zeitgeist. Um, in the next episode, we're going to actually take a look at how Reaganism versus Reaganism is also an aspect uh, or taking on other aspects of Reagan himself. Uh, so that's, yeah. Okay. So that's where we're going to go with uh, in the next episode. But this is actually a pretty good place to start. stop, uh, okay. if only because, you know, you need to uh, uh, take a steam and, uh, you know, get a towel around your neck. Um, after all that aerobic work, so many Christmas, God <laughs> Almighty! Do you believe was... they lost seven million dollars on that? It's just yeah, amazing. I can't. Just... I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not even going to entertain the sarcasm there. No, I totally uh, believe, totally believe it. Yeah, yeah. But um, notice we are going science, computers, science, computers, 
Yeah. Beauty issues. Um, highlighting pacifism a couple times. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. And rehashing so, Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. The like dust not children. Even subtly. I mean, honestly, that kind of deserves its own watch along. Um, I I would I I agree. I think right. that's something. Yeah. That might be might, something we, we put might, in the can for a while. Yeah. So, stick a pin in that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so what have you gleaned so far from season two of GI Joe? Um, what have I gleaned? Jesus. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that at the same, what, what occurred to me over the course of all this, and there wasn't really a good time because it's, it's a big picture kind of thing. And there wasn't really a, a good time to bring it up until now. Sure. But what, what occurred to me is, so this, the second season of, of GI Joe is 86. Yep. And by this time, I had also been watching mm-hmm. Robotech oh. since about, I want to say probably 84. Okay. Um, and Robotech was from the very beginning all mm-hmm. about the overarching story arcs. Right. You know, the first, and, and I mean, it was, it was, uh, Japanese animation, uh, you know, uh, uh, dubbed into English and, and with some of the, some of the more egregious problematic, uh, Japanese cultural elements taken out. I really need to do an episode at some point about the adaptation of, of Robotech from, from Japan into, into American, yeah. uh, but you know, and, it, but the thing is because it was based on, uh, anime series, um, and anime never, never had the same level of animation ghettofication that, that Western animation did. It, it was by necessity built around more serious plot lines. Uh, like it was a huge big deal the day after the Robotech episode aired where Roy Falker died right in the first season. That right. was like, nobody at school could talk about, well, none of the boys anyway, at school sure. could talk about anything else. That's why like, we never had any, it was, any kind of cultural touchstone like that at my school. There was oh, never a, yeah, everybody well, closest we came was shockingly pro wrestling. Um, yeah, well, that wasn't all of us. That was just about eight of us. Yeah. But, um, we well, never had I was anything like that with cartoons, you know, to be fair, I was, I was attending a, a kind of a niche, uh, private school at the time. So, you know, it wasn't exactly a huge group and we all, all had certain traits in common, but, you know, it was it was a huge big deal. Like, oh my God, Roy Falker is dead, because no American cartoon had ever done that. No, yeah, and I mean, so quite the opposite, in fact. Oh yeah, and yeah. then and then now we're talking about, um, uh, you know, two years later, some of well that that same kind of interest in longer story arcs and continuing subplots. And all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's still boulderized, but that's showing up mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And I I don't remember consciously noticing the storylines in G.I. Joe getting more complicated. But I think there there was a movement there in that direction that this was a driving part of because GI Joe was such a big property. Sure. 
that like that that pushed this into the rest of the genre because it's after that that we start seeing things like in the very early 90s late 80s we start seeing pirates of dark water which was one big long overarching plot line yeah you know so i mean narratively that's that's something that that uh sticks out to me okay um so yeah that's that's kind of what i'm what i what what strikes me is as an overarching uh call it systematic systemic uh, systemic there you go yeah. systemic uh uh kind of kind of structural change in in the genre and the way yeah. the genre was working yeah, so, yeah. And, and i think that there's uh and we'll kind of discuss it in the next episode uh there are very okay. specific reasons why it got more complex and deeper um, okay in that cool. second season so yeah cool, cool. well right. what you, uh what you gonna recommend for people to read uh well um it, with a continuing theme mm. uh from the last couple of episodes um as sort of homework uh in in preparation for what i'm going to talk about cyberpunk um i very very strongly re- i haven't recommended it yet and i'm going to now um i very strongly recommend mona lisa overdrive okay. by william gibson okay uh which is the first novel in the sprawl trilogy mm-hmm. and it is the codifying novel for the genre of cyberpunk that's the that's the argument I'm going to make okay. is that um that is that is where that is where the tropes get get fixed. Okay. Um and it is also an amazing work of fiction and uh Gibson is is artful in in his prose. It's it's written in a language that was completely different from what science fiction had sounded like before it. Nice. And so it's it is seminal on multiple levels at once. So nice. highly, highly recommend find it. Uh, after you finish that one, then go read the sequel, uh, Count Zero Interrupt. Okay. And um, the third book in the series. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Mona Lisa Overdrive is the third book in the series. It's also awesome. Uh, Neuromancer is the first book in the series. Okay. Um. I it, in my head the cover of Mona Lisa Overdrive always sticks harder, but uh, yeah, Neuromancer is the first one. So the whole Sprawl trilogy, basically. Uh, highly recommend William Gibson. Check it out. Okay. How about you? Uh, I'm going to recommend to people We Hereby Refuse: uh, Japanese American Resistance to Wartime Incarceration. It is a graphic novel written by Frank Abe and uh, Tomiko Nomura. Uh, Ross Ishikawa and Matt Sasaki uh, did the artwork um, and I mentioned that just largely because it is an all uh, Japanese and Japanese American uh, collaboration um, but uh, the book it actually is uh, it's it's really cool it ends up it tells the story of um, a Sacramento woman uh, Mitsuya Endo um, who uh, basically challenged and broke uh, the Japanese internment incarceration. Uh, and and she didn't she didn't want to be a part of it. Uh, but at okay. the same time, like essentially it was it was a you know short version. In her case, they they said, like, can you say that she's in any way disloyal 
She doesn't speak Japanese. She's a Methodist. She works for the DMV. She like she does all these things. Uh, can you say in any way that she's disloyal? They're like, no. And they're like, then you can't send her to the goddamn camps. And the Supreme Court um, decided a bunch of cases that day. I think Hirabayashi and uh, Korematsu both got decided that same day. Um, Endo as well. Um, and I, it was like, oh, God, what was the court case? It was like Endo X, not Milite, but it's it's another term um, where they were just like, yeah, basically they can't keep people. Like they didn't tell them that, but like it, it, it was really cool. You have this very unassuming, uh, 20 something, uh, young woman, uh, who, who basically proved the lie that it was. So anyway, uh, please, please go check that out. I think it's a a fantastic read. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I, I love when people fight back. So. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm gonna have to check it out because you know I've never heard of the court case. Yeah. Um, yeah. To my to my embarrassment, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. It's well, you know why is because um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the Kurematsu and Hayabaya, uh, mm, mm-hmm. Habayashi, Hayabashi, Habaya. Mm-hmm. It's late. Um, but uh, those Hayabashi, two court cases, Hayabashi. Yeah. There you go. Um, those two court cases, uh, they take the lion's share of the attention. Okay. So that that's, yeah, that's, cool. that's why. So cool. Uh, where can people find you if you want to be found? Um, right now I don't want to be found, uh, totally <laughs> but fair. we collectively, we collectively, uh, can be found, uh, at, uh, wubba, wubba, wubba dot geek history of time or geek history time.com. Uh, and on Twitter, we are Geek History Time. Uh, and uh, you obviously, listener, whoever you are, if I can break the fourth wall for a moment, you have found us. Um, so wherever you did find us, please subscribe. Please give us the five-star review that you know uh, Damien deserves for the sacrifice he went through uh, to watch all of G.I. Joe uh, through in, in a marathon uh, binge session uh, for these episodes. Uh, so so re- repay his sacrifice for the sake of your entertainment by giving us a five-star review. Um, and where can you be found, sir? Uh, first off is Hirabayashi. That was the trouble I was having. Right, um, okay. Yeah, so Korematsu, Hirabayashi, and Yasui uh, took the lion's share of the attention. So sorry to, to bounce back into that, but it was really bothering me. I wasn't getting the name right. Yeah. Um, so uh you can find me. Let's see. Um best place to find me is in Sacramento on May 5th, uh, because the April 7th show probably is already run. Uh May 5th at Luna's. Um and if this for some reason comes out after May 5th, which is going to be a banger of an uh, of of a, a show uh it's it's there's gonna be a lot of good folks on that then also come see us on the june 2nd show uh which will be right. uh just a really really good one um so yeah uh and by the way it's um ex parte endo that's what it was oh right 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 yeah okay so anyway sorry i'm all over the place but i wanted to make sure i i did right by these people um but yeah, uh, yeah. so may 5th and uh june 2nd come check out uh capital punishment Bring $20, $10 for your ticket. 
the other 10 so you can buy some merch and some nachos and some other good food. Shout out your favorite idea for puns. Um, and uh, we will take it and run with it. It's a lot of fun. So cool, cool. Well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, remember, knowing is half the battle.